This Day in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a history podcast more popular than the Beatles. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're looking at one of the most explosive and least expected pop culture scandals of the 20th century, the time when John Lennon accidentally went to war with the Bible Belt. The day was March 4th, 1966. In a personality profile about John Lennon, the musician was quoted as saying the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. The interview had been conducted by Maureen Cleave, a reporter and close friend of John Lennon who had interviewed the Beatles before. The piece was published in the day's edition of the London Evening Standard. It was titled, How Does a Beatle Live? John Lennon Lives Like This. The point of the profile was to give readers a better look at who Lennon was off the stage and in his personal life. He would later go on to say that his friendship with Cleve had led him to be a little looser with his words that day than he normally would have been, and perhaps should have been. The quote in question, the one that would eventually lead to international controversy, was just one small passage in a sprawling 2,000-word conversation. It came up when Lenin and Cleve were discussing the declining interest in religion in much of the modern world, a trend that plenty of religious leaders had already acknowledged and commented on themselves. Lenin said, quote, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I know I'm right, and I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it that ruins it for me. When viewed in context, it seems obvious the singer wasn't really bragging about his band's popularity compared to Jesus. That was more of a sarcastic aside, a colorful way to illustrate his broader point which was that the current generation wasn't as religious as previous ones, for better or worse. Lennon's delivery was blunt and a little arrogant, but the basic idea he was expressing wasn't new, or even all that provocative. Or at least, that's what British readers seemed to think. After the interview was published in the London paper, there was no huge backlash. No news bulletins, no angry editorials, no boycotts, no bans. Most people in England brushed off the Jesus comment as just an off-the-cuff remark from a 25-year-old pop star. Lennon described the non-reaction in 1974, saying, quote, In England, nobody took any notice. They know this guy's blabbing off. Who is he? The article got picked up by lots of international publications, including the New York Times, but again, no one made any fuss. That would change five months later, when the profile was reprinted again in an American teen magazine called Datebook. The issue hit newsstands on July 29th, and within a matter of days, the Jesus comment had sparked outrage across the United States. 
One of the earliest and loudest voices to bring attention to the quote was a radio DJ named Tommy Charles. He co-hosted a morning Top 40 show on the WAQY station in Birmingham, Alabama. Part of Charles' daily routine was to flip through magazines and newspapers to look for lively topics to talk about between songs. Lennon's remark about Jesus certainly fit that bill, so one morning in late July, Charles and his partner Doug Layton instituted what they called the Ban the Beatles campaign. Their network would no longer play any of the band's songs until John Lennon had recanted and apologized for his blasphemous remarks. Dozens of other radio stations quickly joined in on the band, not just in the South, but even all the way up in states like New York and Utah. Some DJs actually destroyed their station's Beatles records while live on the air, and others called for their communities to organize mass burnings of Beatles albums. It's unclear how many of these events actually took place, although a few have been confirmed as happening, including at least one organized by the South Carolina chapter of the Ku Klux Klan. Either way, the stories of the burnings certainly made their way back to the Beatles. Paul McCartney later described the band's reaction, saying, quote, We just thought, yes, well, you can see what it is. It's hysterical, low-grade American thinking. But no sweat off us, mate. Burn them if you like. It's not compulsory to play them. So, we took a balanced view of it. The band may have comforted themselves with the fact that burned records still had to be purchased, but facing the people who were doing the burning... Well, that could get ugly real fast. It was a prospect the band was dreading as they prepared to kick off a new U.S. tour later that August. Beatles manager Brian Epstein tried to smooth things over by delivering a statement himself at a press conference in New York. However, as the burnings and boycotts continued, it became obvious that nothing short of John Lennon swallowing his pride and confronting the controversy head-on would appease the growing rage. Years later, Lennon described this realization, saying, quote, When they started burning our records, that was a real shock. I couldn't go away knowing I'd created another little piece of hate in the world, so I apologized. His apology, such as it was, was delivered at a press conference at the Astor Towers Hotel in Chicago, the first stop on the band's U.S. tour. It wasn't a very polished statement, but Lennon gamely tried to answer reporters' questions on the topic and to clarify what he had originally meant by the remark. Here's Lennon explaining it for himself. If it had said, television is more popular than Jesus, I might have got away with it. <laughs> no, but as I just happened to be talking to a friend, I used the word Beatles as a remote thing, not as what I think, as Beatles as though those other Beatles like other people see us. I just said they are having more influence on kids and things than anything else, including Jesus. But I said it in that way, which is the wrong way. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, some teenagers have repeated your statements that the Beatles, I like the Beatles more than Jesus Christ. What do you think about that? Well, originally I was pointed out that fact in reference to England, that we meant more to kids than Jesus did, or religion at that time. I wasn't knocking it or putting it down, I was just saying it as a fact. 
And it's true, especially more for England than here. You know, I'm not saying that we're better or greater or comparing us with Jesus Christ as a person or God as a thing or whatever it is. I just said what I said and it was wrong or was taken wrong and now it's all this. The public's indignation was somewhat cooled by Lenin's appearance. For instance, some towns called off their scheduled Beatles bonfires. However, the scandal still clung to the band throughout their 17-day tour through 14 different American cities. At each stop, they were met by protesters, many of whom carried homemade signs that said things like, Beatles go home, and Jesus loves you, do the Beatles? Of course, they had plenty of supporters too. They were still the Beatles. But the band had never dealt with that level of public disapproval and resentment. In the months to come, the memories of that sour experience, including the fear of potentially being attacked, or worse, ultimately led the band to give up on touring altogether. They may not have known it at the time, but the Beatles' last paid concert as a band turned out to be the show they played in San Francisco at the end of the tour. Except for the occasional TV appearance and their famous rooftop concert in London, the Beatles were strictly a studio band for the rest of their career. John Lennon was caught off guard by the animosity stirred up by his offhand comments, something he didn't even remember saying after the fact. But once he saw the protests and heard the vitriol, I believe he genuinely came to regret saying what he did, or at least the way he said it, not because it was something untrue or intrinsically harmful, but because it had unwittingly brought ugly feelings into the world, a little piece of hate, as he called it. Lenin did his best to stamp that out as quickly as he could, but for some people, it was still too late. That little piece of hate had taken root, and it would fester for years to come. On December 8, 1980, a decade after the band's breakup, that hate finally bore the worst kind of fruit. That evening, an obsessed religious fan suffering from a mental breakdown waited outside of Lennon's New York apartment with a loaded gun. He didn't like what Lennon had said about God and heaven and the Beatles, so he made sure that the songwriter would never say anything again. There were all kinds of ideologies and worldviews that one could reasonably ascribe to Lennon's killer. But the beliefs he claimed to hold most dear, the teachings of Christ, aren't one of them. As Lenin pointed out himself, the teachings have never been the problem. It's disciples who twist them, who ruin it. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.